0: You hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop. How about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking queer money on the road this summer and fall. Visit queermoneypodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. Have you ever heard the story of someone who gave so much, all that they had, with such passion that it almost made you cry, especially when you hear about their success? Well, that's exactly what you're going to get this week on Queer Money. We have the opportunity to talk to someone who is giving back to their community, and they are reaping the rewards of their success through the smiling faces of the people that they help. This week on Queer Money, we want to remind you that our financial success is as important as our personal safety, because it can provide that kind of safety. Mass Mutual is a company that wants to see us thrive. And they are a sponsor of our podcast, and they're there for us to help us so that we can thrive financially. We also carry on conversations almost every single day in the Facebook Queer Money group. If you have questions about what you should be doing financially or want to see what others are struggling with and their successes, please join the Facebook group. It's Queer Money on Facebook. Now let's get on with the show. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. This is Queer Money.
1: Welcome back into another episode of Queer Money. We are excited about today. We have Sean Coleman from Destination Tomorrow on the show with us. We were in New York City a couple of months ago now. Jeez, time flies. We got introduced to Sean at, what was the name of the event? Cheers. Stonewall Foundation's
0: Vision Awards.
1: Yes, and we found out uh, about Sean and his, his team and what they do and we figured we have to have them own crew money for a couple of reasons. One, we weren't aware that there were organizations like this, and so we assumed that other people might not be aware of that. But two, there's a need for this in many communities. And so we're wondering if through talking with Sean, that maybe people can get inspired to maybe create something similar, and maybe there's a way that people can copy what Destination Tomorrow is doing in, in their own area to help their own LGBT community. So without further ado, welcome to Sean Coleman. Thank you for joining our show. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Do you mind telling our listeners a little bit about who you are?
2: I am Sean Coleman. I am the founder and executive director of Destination Tomorrow. We're, uh, I used to say small, a non profit but we're not that small anymore. But we're a non-for-profit based in the South Bronx. We provide services for the LGBT community, particularly young people, 13 to 24, and members of the trans community with a focus on transmasculine folks. And I'm also an advocate for the trans community.
1: Awesome. awesome. That's great. There's a lot of help that's needed in those areas. When you say we start out small and now we're medium or, or large, what does that mean? Is that in terms of the number of people you help?
2: Both. The number of people we help. When I first started, I started the organization in 2009. It was just me in a cubicle and an incubator. And I did it because the South Bronx is overwhelmingly below the poverty level. There are a large number of unemployed, underemployed, folks who are, you know, living paycheck to paycheck, uh, a lot of homelessness. And what I found was there were a lot of them that are from the LGBT community and they were not getting linked to services, whether that be direct services like medical and legal Mm -hmm. services or just a safe space to hang out. So I started Destination Tomorrow in 2009, absolutely no funding. I I, I cashed out my 401k in order to fund the first year of Destination Tomorrow. Fast forward, we're here now, and it's not just me by myself anymore. I have a staff of eight, four full-time and four part-time This is the second year we've been able to provide salaries for our staff, not just salaries, but living wages for our staff. And we're continuing to grow as far as our budget is concerned and our reach. We started out maybe seeing five or 10 young people a week. Last year, we saw over 300. We started with a drop-in program, which means that young people could come in and hang out, just providing them with a safe space where they wouldn't be bullied or or they can hang out with folks that looked and act like them. And now we're doing more economic empowerment workshops. We have a partnership with TD Bank and they do financial literacy for our kids. We have a GED readiness program where we walk young people through step-by-step what they need to do to take their GED. We prepare them to take their GED and then we go with them to take their GED. We do housing and mental health, housing referrals, medical and mental health referrals, and we're getting ready to start doing testing. So we've grown a lot.
1: Wow. That's a lot of great services that I'm sure that a lot of people in our community need. Exactly.
0: You know, Sean, maybe you can validate this for us. We had a guest on our podcast a while back, and she mentioned that approximately 40% of all homeless individuals identify as queer, as LGBTQ. And I'm just kind of curious what you're seeing in the Bronx, since you work directly with that community, are you seeing numbers that are equivalent to that, or is that even more so the case in that area?
2: It's actually a little higher than that it was about 51% with most being LGBT young people of color. So African-American and Hispanic kids are more impacted. And then we're also noticing that there are a large number of those who are aging out of the system, meaning they were in the youth system or they were in foster care and then they age out at 21 and they transition them out without a plan. So we're looking for housing for them as well, which is why we are Attempting to go into housing. I say attempting because we found the space and we need, you know, the space needs some work. So we're working with our government officials to see what we can do to get that space up and running by next year. Gotcha. You work with people under the age of 21? Well, we work with all populations, but we have a particular focus on young people 13 to
1: 24. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. And then I think if if I read correctly on your website, a founding principle of Destination Tomorrow is that. LGBTQ people shouldn't have to leave their neighborhood to find necessary services.
2: Correct. Every borough in New York City has LGBT center. We have one in Chelsea on 13th Street. We have Brooklyn Pride. We have Queens Pride. Staten Island has Pride. And the Bronx is the only borough that does not have an LGBT center per se. So our goal is to make sure that we have this community center where it's a one-stop shop, regardless so of what it was that you needed—if you just wanted the fellowship, if you wanted socialization, if you wanted support groups, whatever it was that you needed, you'd have your needs met in this one space. And that's what we're working towards.
1: Amazing. That's cool. Okay. <laughs> I love hearing that.
2: So, it, where we can okay. I just?
0: Sorry, I want to go back to something you said, Sean. You said mm-hmm. that in 2009 you cashed out your 401k. Yes. And you basically took your own personal money. And dedicated it to this initiative. Can you tell us a little bit about why you would do something like that? Because I think a lot of people today are so protective of their own finances and what they've done, and especially individuals who may be struggling financially, since so many in the queer community are. What motivated you to say, I'm going to risk my future for this?
2: (laughs) Because I felt like I was risking my future anyway. Right. I was working for someone else, providing services that were inadequate for my community. And I felt like I was doing a disservice every time I walked through that door. Right. Because I knew that the folks that depended on me, their needs weren't being met. And I had ideas and this whole business plan on how it can be done better. I just didn't have the resources to make it happen. And then it dawned on me that I honestly did have the resources to do it better. And I figured if I didn't believe in myself, who else would? So I took a chance on myself.
0: Awesome. That's amazing. I I really appreciate that because you did take that risk. And you did say, this is my future. And so many of us, especially those of us who live in semi-safe or completely safe spaces, whether that's Mm -hmm. within our own finances or with where we live in the world, are still too scared to take that kind of risk. So the risk that you took is Head and shoulders above what many of us are willing to do. So, thank you for being willing to do that.
2: And it was a struggle. So, I don't want to make it seem like it wasn't. At one point, I had to file bankruptcy. I spent every nickel I had. I had to move in with family. I lost my condo. There were a lot of things, but I had the support of friends and family and who also began to believe in the in dream. It was like, either he's crazy or he's on to something, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> That's funny.
1: One of our best performing podcasts, uh, it happened to be featured on Huffington Post, and, and it's the director, Reed Waterer, who um, got into directing movies, and he was afraid in doing so, but he pretty much said the same thing. You have, you have to be a little bit crazy to follow
2: your dream. You really have to. And, and you have to have, I think, a strong foundation. Like my grandmother always told me to follow your dreams. It's the only thing that you can control. So, I mean, you know, you get to a point that you're like, I'm just going to have to do it. But it, it wasn't easy, right? I went for a couple of years with no income whatsoever because all of the money that came in went back into the agency to continue to grow it. So let me ask you, this is a very interesting thought process
1: to me. So it's one thing to say I've got a certain amount of money in my 401k and I'm willing to take this risk. It's another thing then to see it all go and then (laughs) to not get paid for a couple of years and then to potentially have to file for bankruptcy. That's a whole different level
2: of of scary. How did you maintain that courage? Because I just felt I had come too far, right? Like you lose one thing, it's like, well, I might as well keep going because I've already lost that, right? And then you lose something else and it's like, well damn it, I can't stop now because now who's going to hire me because I'll be seen as a failure. So you you, you just continue to motivate yourself to keep going. And then one good thing will happen, and it's like, yes, we just got some money, and we're going to do this and this and this with it, and and because we do that, it's going to increase our visibility. And with that, we're going to – so it just kept, you know, we just kept building momentum every time we had a victory.
1: I think what this speaks to me, what I'm hearing a lot here is what Jim Rohn's quote is, when you know what you want and you want it bad enough, you'll figure out a way to get it. it? So your your why was important enough
2: mm-hmm. that
1: you were determined to figure out a way to make this successful. And now, if for no other reason than you're helping tons of people in your community, you've got yes. a staff and you're potentially considering being able to provide housing, which is a whole different level of success.
2: <laughs> yes. Yes.
1: That's I think it's phenomenal, and I think it speaks to the power of figuring out what your purpose in life is and doing whatever it takes to execute on that. And I think a lot of people they know what their purpose is; they're just afraid to take that chance because the nine to five is secure, the income Mm -hmm. is secure. It's nicer to see the four hundred one k going up than down. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) but you found your purpose, and you. I guess I would have a follow up question to that: is which is more satisfying? having the success of helping your community today or the size of your 401k a couple of years ago.
2: <laughs> oh, hands down. <laughs> <laughs> that
1: was a softball. <laughs> yeah, right.
2: And because we get to work with young people, I get an opportunity to share my story, right? Because of the community. So some of them knew me when I was working at another agency and they watched it grow. So I'm an example that, you know, I'm no different than them right? I was a little knucklehead running the streets, just like they were. at one. <laughs> so I think being able to see me and identify with me that this guy's from my neighborhood, and he went through some of the same things I went through and look at him, that in and of itself was enough to cash out the 401k. Yeah.
0: And Sean, I'm sorry, you know, we'll get on to some of the other <laughs> topics. But to me, this is an amazing, I did not realize this side to you, because so many of the people that we know who are working in services are oftentimes They have dropped in to the services. Mm -hmm. So they've graduated from college and now they're working in these organizations. They are not the ones who started these organizations and gave it all the blood, sweat, and tears. Right. So just maybe one last question of the feeling you have today compared to the pain and struggling you went through.
2: Oh, my God. I can't compare it. I'm like, I wake up every day happy to be coming through these doors. I know I'm going to have a whole lot of things to deal with and it doesn't bother me at all. I come in at 11. I'm normally here until like nine or 10. I love what I do. And I love the folks that I get to encounter every day. I love the folks that I've employed. I'm incredibly happy to be able to say that I hire people in my community. It's a wonderful feeling. Awesome. Thank you.
1: I think that this speaks to the power of following your dream and therein lies the reason you do it, so that you're happy, yes. you're fulfilling your purpose. So yeah, that's a it's an interesting angle. We weren't prepared for that. So thank you for sharing that. And I know that'll inspire our, our audience as well. So get okay, back to our, our predetermined questions. <laughs> um, prior to Destination Tomorrow, there wasn't an organization like yours that was serving the LGBT community in the Bronx. So where were LGBT people going who were from the Bronx to get such services? if anywhere.
2: So let me just make that correction. There was an agency, it was called Bronx Community Pride Center, and I actually worked there. While we did amazing work, I think some folks in upper management lost uh, sight of what it was we were doing, and it ultimately closed in 2012. So we've been without a center from 2012 on. What a lot of folks did were there were these agencies that recognized that there was going to be a gap now, right? And they weren't LGBT agencies. They were just agencies or community-based organizations in the Bronx. But because doing this work is oftentimes associated with getting a grant, a lot of folks started to go after that grant money, recognizing that the Bronx had this this gap in service. And some of those agencies that went after the money were larger agencies. They just weren't experienced in doing LGBT work. Okay. Got gotcha. you. Okay. So, Thanks for clarifying. So, so, so you had some folks that took a chance and went to these new – I don't want to call them startups because they were here already. They were just trying to introduce LGBT programming. And then you had others that would just leave the borough completely and go to one of the other uh, agencies, normally the one in the center, um, Manhattan.
1: Gotcha. gotcha. That's, so I'm assuming if I understand the geography of New York, was, I think I might,
2: That it's probably pretty hard for people to get to the center of Manhattan from the Bronx. You... Well, it's a, it's, it's a train ride. So they about an hour and 10, 15 minutes there and an hour and 10, 15 minutes back. Yeah.
1: but if, And if you're a 16-year-old, that seems like a lifetime. <laughs> yeah.
2: and, and there was a study that came out that said, well, number one, we have one of the poorest congressional districts for like the third or fourth year. So a big problem was that the young people didn't have car fare to get downtown. And some would jump in turnstiles and doing things that they shouldn't be doing Mm -hmm. so that they have the resources to travel. Gotcha.
1: Yeah. So that puts them at additional risk and could start a lifetime of problems. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you you mentioned, you know, Destination Tomorrow provides some healthcare services. You act as a drop-in center and a safe space. Uh, You also do some counseling and case management among many other services. One of them that's, of course, of interest to David and me is the financial literacy program that you offer through TD Bank.
2: Yes. What does that entail? What does that include? TD Bank has become a wonderful partner for us. I went in to open an account for the organization and just started speaking to them about what it is that we do. And one of my concerns has always been that normally in poor communities, I hate using that word, but it's the truth. The residents aren't used to banking, right? Conventional banking. They're normally going to check cashing places, and a lot of community members didn't understand the importance of saving, the importance uh, of credit, and didn't even know how to, you know, like do basic banking, like writing checks or reconciling your your checkbook. So I wanted to make sure that the young people that accessed our space understood how to do those things. That was first, and then the second thing was because. Many of the housing programs, in order to qualify for them, you had to either be working or going to school because you had to save a portion of whatever income you had. To do that, you had to learn how to budget. How do you learn how to do something you've never done before? So we wanted to kind of incorporate all of those things so that we could put them on the path to saving, understanding their credit, and also put them in a space that they'd be ready for housing. Wow, that's
1: That's great. And
2: we we love hearing that because there is a –
1: I think, unfortunately, in too many communities, even in what you might consider not necessarily poor, there seems to be a a dearth of financial education and literacy. So the fact that you were pressured enough to see that as a critical way to help your community, and I believe it's definitely a critical way to help your community, is great.
0: Yeah, exactly. I've said this on our podcast before and and when we've done public speaking that I believe that one of the foundations of a strong queer community is that we have to be financially strong because when we're struggling financially, our motivation, our energy, and our money is all distracted. And Mm -hmm. so, we can't give back to our community. We can't help each other out. And so, we get distracted with massive amounts of debt, or we need to have the perfect house or the right kind of jeans or whatever the case may be. Those kinds of things can easily become distractions to the point where we're not able to give back or support our community when it needs to support the most.
2: Right. And we also make really, really poor decisions when we're lacking, like when our resources are low. So I just wanted to make sure that we were giving the kids every opportunity to succeed.
1: Nice. Nice. That's That's, that's awesome. That's great. So when I think of math and finances and children, they don't all seem to go well together. How's the, how's the response been? It took some
2: getting used to, right? Because it was like, what's this about? So we <laughs> we, we trimmed the curriculum down to about 45 minutes. We make it fun. We do dinner before. And then anyone who's interested gets an opportunity to open an account. And the gentleman that does it for us, his name is Barton, he tells them he's going to become their personal banker. And it gives it more of a, you know, if you have any questions, just call me. And they feel cared for. So it started slow. But the last group we ran, we had about twenty-five folks there, and of the twenty-five, about twenty actually signed up for accounts. And the good thing about it is that TD Bank puts twenty-five, well, open their account with twenty-five dollars. Wow! Oh, wow! That's, that's awesome. awesome. That's
1: really great. Kudos to, to TD Bank for t- taking out. that chance. That's yeah, that's a, that's that's great because one of the problems with many disenfranchised communities is that they're unbanked as you suggested. And it's hard in this country world to be financially successful and secure without having an investment or a banking account. So to start them off, I don't even think I had, I might have had like a passport savings account when I was in high school. So (laughs) they're they're ahead of me. So that's pretty awesome. (laughs) What sort of themes or consistent questions or concerns do you hear from the kids that go through the financial literacy program?
2: Many of them don't trust banks, right? They want their money where they can see it. Um, they want to make sure they have access to their bank and suppose something, I mean, to their cash and suppose something goes wrong. How can I get my money back? Right, Those, those are the first, <laughs> right. the first kind of questions that they're asking. Then when you walk them through the process and you make sure that they understand the process, it kind of eases their fears. They get their little ATM cards or their debit cards and they're happy with those because they, now they can swipe. And I'm like, okay, calm down with the swipe right? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> this isn't Tinder. <laughs> to, it's still cash. So we have to be rational with it. Right. They're, they're, they're a bit apprehensive at first. And I think that's generational, right? Like I know my grandma, she put money away, but she also kept cash in a can in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Because you want to make sure you have access, just in case of emergency. Yep. I think we're, you know, we're taught some of these behaviors, so unlearning them are a bit difficult. But you you show them the advantage to unlearning those behaviors. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's interesting that you say
1: that most of the students that go through the program don't trust banks. Yeah. Mass Mutual just did a study called an LGBT financial security study that was just released this week, actually. And when this is played, it'll be a month or so from now, so <laughs> sorry. 59% of the LGBT community of those surveyed said they don't trust banks and they mm-hmm. don't know where to go to for help. We do have great banks that are reaching out to the LGBT community specifically and other disenfranchised communities such as TD Bank, Mass Mutual, Prudential, a number of others. I wonder why that's still a pervasive fear and not something that the banks have yet been able to overcome. Any do you have any thoughts?
2: Because there are still things that many don't understand, right? Like so if I catch an overdraft fee of thirty-five dollars because you restacked how the funds came in and now you're taking my thirty five dollars, I don't understand how it was stacked. I just understand that you took my thirty five dollars. Right. So I think we need to better educate and it, it took me a while to understand it. Like they paid that biggest thing that comes in first regardless of when it came in so you will make two small purchases and then two days later make a large purchase the large purchase may be credited first and the way it falls you may overdraw which is why i'm telling them not to swipe so much but i try to also explain that right That you should always have a cushion we explain overdraft protection there needs to be a bit more Humanity in banking. And I know that sounds silly, right? Humanity in no, banking.
1: You're right. You're right. Absolutely not at all. Right. I think it sounds uh,
2: necessary. <laughs> Especially in communities that have been taught to distrust some of these institutions. So again, that's the reason that the workshop works, because they know Barton. So now when Barton, is Barton coming? And it's like, Barton is not, I don't know if he's going to be able to make it this month, but someone's going to come from TD Bank. They want to see Barton. They want to talk to Barton. If they have banking questions, they, they want to continue to build a relationship. I think there needs to be more of that.
1: Gotcha. That's well, kudos awesome. to Barton, too. That sounds yeah, pretty awesome. Exactly.
2: <laughs> <Yes>. He's fabulous.
1: <laughs> <laughs> nice. Kind of talking about fear and whatnot leads me to my next question. We get a lot of direct messages and emails from various people who listen to our podcasts and, and read our content in various places. One of the comments that somebody said to David the other day was that he's so gripped with fear for his safety as an LGBT person that he ignores his money,
0: mm-hmm.
1: he doesn't, he, he dismisses it. And to David and me, we can't really understand the connection there. And I'm wondering if, in your experience, you have an understanding of why your physical safety supports the idea that you can dismiss other safety aspects of your life.
2: Because I don't think people understand how all of those intersect. It becomes a really, really big concern, especially for members of the trans community. So if I'm worried that I'm going to go out and be bashed, I may take a cab. And I know I can't really afford to take a cab, but I'm fearful that if I don't take a cab and I get on public transportation, I'm going to be hurt. So I've just spent money that I don't necessarily have, but I have to go. Or I don't go and the responsibilities that I had or that I may be paid for, I can't do because I'm fearful. So it contributes to just everyday decisions we're dealing with two different things here right how do we change policy to make sure that lgbt community members don't have that fear number one and how do we make them understand that their relationship with money is the most important thing that will keep them safe because now you can't afford a cab or an uber if you need to and you can't afford to move into i hate to say it but a nicer neighborhood or a better a safer building like those things they're all connected so we have to show the connections
1: Exactly. Gotcha. Thank, Thank you for you. sharing that. That actually provides some insight that I hadn't put together there. Does that help you? It does. Better understand. Mm-hmm. So, do you think that the solution is educating people more about money and how it can serve them? Right. Is the other half of the equation policy, or is there something else that
2: those of us who aren't in nonprofit or politics can do? It would be policy. And then it's also figuring out what you can do differently in your community. Right. So if you've managed to survive financially, if you will, how can you reach back and make sure even if it's a monthly donation? We're, we're setting up an individual donor base now, right, with the idea that we'll get, say, 100 donors that give $10 a month and that'll be transportation money for some of the folks that come in that really can't afford to get back and forth. But figuring out how you can help small ways really, really add up when we're looking to expand the budget. So policy, get involved in local politics, find out why some folks may not feel so safe in their neighborhood. Join the community board. I'm on community board too in the Bronx for that very reason. I want to know how my neighborhood is being policed. I want to know what happens when the crime rate, if it goes to go up, what are you doing differently to make sure we're addressing that and to make sure that the the streets are safe. Then even smaller things right, on your community board, making sure if a street light has been out more than a couple of days, that you're going to continue to contact the appropriate agency to Make sure that that streetlight will be replaced because that's a part of safety in my neighborhood. There are multiple ways that we can get involved. Write Trump a letter too while you're at it but <laughs> about this silly transgender ban. Because if even if you don't necessarily understand the struggles of transgender folks, it's just basic discrimination, right? right. And what he's done is he's created an environment not of just fear but division. Because now folks will feel like trans people are not protected. They're not worthy. They're a burden. I, it doesn't matter what I do to you. Right. Can you imagine being transgender and having that thought process now? Because my own government just told me I'm not fit to serve. I'm a burden. I'm a headache. And if I go outside and someone else sees me and believes that, they can beat the hell out of me. And what kind of repercussions will I get?
1: Exactly. Yeah, there's a lot of peripheral consequences to that. Dear Mr. Trump,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you bringing this up. We had a podcast and I can't remember the episode number now, but one of the things that we talked about, and this was, that was, this was Andy af- uh, no, no, it was after Trump was elected. But prior to his inauguration, we did a podcast about, I think it was eight ways that as a community, we can help prepare ourselves And a lot of the focus there was around what we need to do financially to be prepared in 2018 and 2020 so that things will not continue the way they are today so that we have better leadership.
2: Yeah.
1: That's one of our major talking points is that if you are afraid, if we do go into a time where we feel less secure, such as maybe the Trump presidency, or worse or something different, that it can only serve us to be financially secure. It doesn't right. guarantee protection as we learned with the Jews during World War II, but the more financially secure you have, the more preparation you have. And it doesn't do our community of service to not be prepared financially. So getting off our soapbox and, <laughs> and getting off the depressing stuff, I, in researching your Destination Tomorrow website, I saw that you have a, an event called Kiki World.
2: Yes. Can you tell us about that, please? Kiki Royal, I'm not sure if, if your listeners have ever saw it, the movie Paris is Burning.
0: Uh-huh.
2: It's a cult classic amongst many in the LGBT community. And what it is, is stage competitions or balls, we call them, where you go and you compete against others in different categories. So category may be face or body or realness or best dressed or something like that. What we did was, we created this same type of environment for younger people because these, this was an adult setting. So, adults weren't able to access the space, but they were able to, to view it online and they were interested in it. And many CBOs or community based organizations began to use it as a tool to engage a large number of youth at one time. So, we started having Kiki. A Kiki is a laugh, a joker, uh, a nice time, so we started to have Kiki balls, and ours turns them into a Kiki lounge, which means you get to come and hang out for three hours and they get snacks and they get to meet their friends and they battle against each other, they get ready for a ball, whatever they have going on, they do within our space, but it's a it's a controlled environment for them. That's awesome. You have a couple of videos posted on your website and I was like, some of yeah. that dancing was crazy. <laughs> yes. I was like, you, your back is going to kill you in 10 years. Yeah. I
1: don't know. <laughs> the way they drop to the floor on their back and don't, I don't know how they don't bash. I mean, I would, my head would
2: split open. I can't stay in there while they're doing that. It's like my back hurts every time you do that. Stop. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But, enjoy but it while you're 12 it. and 15. Right. right. And they have so much fun doing it. So every Thursday, we allow them to come in and access the space for that purpose. That's awesome. And so they've got an opportunity to network and talk with other friends, get some competition and dancing, and they get some food as well. Right. And then we get use it as an opportunity to continue to build relationships and, and build a rapport with them, right? So we make it our business to know everyone that comes in. So if someone comes in and they're normally upbeat and this time they're a little bit down and they don't want to perform or they don't want to hang out on they're a little withdrawn, then we immediately know that we need to pull them up and talk to them to figure out exactly what's going on. And then we use it for other engagement. So we may sit down because we do uh, what we call a client screening with anyone that comes in through the door. And through this client screening, we'll find out if they've completed school, if not, what grade they dropped out, at, if they want to go back to school. And then we start to transition them into other programs. So it gives us an opportunity to like, really get to know the young people are here and what their needs are so we can begin to address them. and. What we found is sometimes they're not ready, right? But as long as they keep coming on Thursday, that gives us another opportunity to kind of bring them over and get them the services and the resources they need. Well, that's smart. I never really thought of that. Yeah. But that makes a lot of sense. So Denver,
1: the week prior to this recording, just had its LGBT film festival called Cinema Q. One of the feature films was called Saturday Church, which I think is relatively it's, – it's quite new. So yeah. a lot of people hey. probably don't know about it just yet. It was a lot about this kid who needed to find a safe space, found Saturday Church, where they did this kind of an event, as, such as you're talking about with Kiki World. It provided him a community while he was overcoming some some struggles at home.
2: Right. And that's pretty much what it is. It gives them a safe space. And then one other thing about the Kiki scene, the established families, right? So this person may be a part of your family. I'm an Ebony, so the Ebony's are my family. So when you come, you meet up and you, you know, fellowship with the family. That's fascinating.
1: So we, another documentary that we watched
2: at Cinema Q
1: it talked about how these families are built in the South. Mm-hmm. They seem to be predominantly lesbians. All the families that were led by lesbians, but there were some other LGBTs in there. I guess GBTs within some of the families. But David and I weren't aware of that either. And a lot of these families are structured because. And they're called like the Gucci family and the Prada family. They've got all these fancy names, but they're they're structured because many of the people, many of these women, LGBT people are kicked out of their homes or they can't be themselves in their homes. So they have to be one person when they're with their birth family. But then when they're with their chosen family, they can be themselves.
2: And that's kind of similar again with the ballroom scene and kiki families because it's a similar dynamic, right? You get an opportunity to honestly be who you are, when you're with your Kiki family or your chosen family. I've been a part of a war family for over 24 years. When I first started going out to the village to hang out, those were some of the first people that I uh, interacted with. And they took me to clubs and they took me to parties and they took me under their wing and made sure nobody bothered me. And, you know, we were always together. It's the same dynamic.
0: That's awesome. Question for you, Sean. It seems to me that there is a kind of an entry point and a progression that you work individuals through. Is there kind of an end goal or maybe a graduation kind of process where you see these individuals have reached a certain point where they're able to provide for themselves or they're less dependent on the services that you're providing?
2: Well that is the end goal, right? To get them to self sufficiency. So we don't have to worry that they'll be fine. And there are a few They all call me dad, right? So like Mm -hmm. right now, getting ready for an event tomorrow and they're just all over the place. But our end goal is to make sure that they're ready for employment, that they understand what independent living looks like, that they're healthy. But we still want them to come around because we want the younger ones that are just coming in and just getting to know destination tomorrow and who we are and what we do to see again through others that have been through similar experiences that there is a way out or that there is an end game.
0: That's great. And I'm just kind of curious what what you're seeing in the successes of individuals who are a part of your program and the progress that they've made. Can you maybe share with some of us what that looks like and what some of them are experiencing today?
2: I have one who's been dealing with some mental health issues that was not really, really stable in the beginning. we have been working with them for about six years now. And... They are now in the GED program and ready to take their GED. They should be taking their GED in September. We have two others that we trained through our job readiness program, and they're now at other organizations working uh, as peer counselors. Uh, We have three that are getting ready to take their GED. We have a host that have gone back to school, meaning they're in college now. And then we have others that are working in other non-for-profits. Some have moved away. I've actually hired three that we train to work as my peers. Oh,
0: nice. Oh, nice,
2: that's cool. That yeah, like-
0: I'm sure that that helps uh, again with new individuals coming in to know to hear their stories of going through the same process and the same program, and the benefits of going through the program. They can see how their lives have gotten better. Because yes. you know, oftentimes, isn't that the case? We learn. Much better through the story than we do from the words that somebody is telling us of what we should do. <laughs> I guess it's that yes. whole do, "do as I do, not as I say" or vice versa. <laughs> <laughs> you're blending a
2: couple of things. As I say, not as I do. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and it's, I think, especially within LGBT community and particularly community of color, sometimes you feel hopeless, right? Because you're in the space and you may have been discriminated against already. Don't I, do I, I don't want to call them throwaways because someone said that to me before and it made me so angry, but their families have turned their backs on them because of who they are. So you begin to feel like you don't have much else because if you don't have the love of your family, you don't have the support of your family. What else? Like, how do you survive? So I just think it's important and particularly these marginalized communities to make sure that they see success stories and that success looks obtainable to them. Success could, for you, it could just be having regular employment that pays your bills and gives you a couple of dollars at the end of the month. That's success. And let's work towards that. Right. I think what you're
1: doing is is amazing. Everything that you've been talking about here has been so impressive. What advice do you have for anyone who wants to use Destination Tomorrow as a model or to replicate to maybe serve their community?
2: First, it has to be a passion. Right. Because there's going to be too many bumps in the road for, if it's not, you're not going to survive. You have to be passionate about the work that you do for community and it has to be about community first. Yeah. Second, you, second, you have to figure out where the gaps are. Right. We were successful because we recognized that there was a gap in the Bronx and we wanted to fill that gap. Don't replicate services because if you're replicating services, why give money to you or why would someone want to come and help you when they're for other use? If, you're insistent on replicating services that someone is already doing, then partner with them. There's no harm in a partnership, especially a successful partnership. You may have some strengths that organizational or corporation lacks. And together, you guys are a fantastic team. And don't be afraid to ask for help. Mm. I joined an ED group for youngins <laughs> that were just starting out. I found two mentors that were already doing the work. I went to every free training because I was broke. So I went to every free training mm. the foundation center had. Uh, did webinars on re- grant writing because in the beginning I had to do everything, right? I'm doing intakes. I'm, I'm writing for grants. I'm researching grants. I'm in the street trying to make connections and meeting people and figuring out who I should know. And don't underestimate the power of your local elected official. They can help you in more ways than you know. I stayed in the congressman's office, and he came in. I came in. How are you, sir? How? Like, do you have time to talk today? No, just want to explain my program so that they know you're there and what you're doing.
1: Awesome. Well, oh, that sounds like a lot of perseverance. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is it's a lot. Right. Of well, and I think to me, it says that if you want it bad enough, there really are no excuses. If you can come up with an excuse, then there must not be enough of a passion there, because
2: yeah, there's not there's not a strong enough passion if you can come up with a way to talk yourself out of it. Right.
1: right, exactly.
2: Where can our listeners find out more about Destination Tomorrow? We're well, on the web at destinationtomorrow.org. Facebook is Destination Tomorrow One. And we're also on Twitter at Des Tomorrow. You should probably spell it out, huh?
1: <laughs> no, no. We'll have it in our show notes so they can just simply click on it or copy and paste it. So that should be good. Okay. You're online and you're on all the major social media platforms. So that's cool. So they can track you there, follow you, like, and share and engage. That'd be awesome. How is Destination Tomorrow funded
2: exactly? We have some private foundation grants. We have two city grants and one state grant. And now we're looking, well, we were looking to do a federal grant, but we'll probably wait a while for that. <laughs> <laughs> no, you won't have to. I
0: have yes. faith. Push, push through. <laughs> I know, right? It's but, um, during the rough years that we make some of the best progress.
2: And honestly, that was what one of my mentors told me. He was like, what are you discouraged for? He's like, this is when we can make a whole lot of progress. What you need to do is change your model. So, well, what do you mean change the model? He says, your fundraising plan has to change. You, you know, now is the time to look to community. Find community members, which is why we came up with the individual giving program. They can be monthly givers or one-time givers. You can give a one-time donation. as smallest is, I think, $50 or $5, something like that. My accountant took care of that. But they can do a one-time donation or they can do a monthly donation. But to start to really build up the individual donor base is what we're working on now. And if our uh,
1: listeners, no matter where they are in the country or the world, would like to be a donor, how would they do that?
2: They can visit us on the web. And there's a donate button on our website, with a 501c3, so it's tax write-off. They do it all through just give, We send out a receipt of whatever the funds were donated.
0: Awesome. Great. Exactly. So- and I'll just remind you that if you are thinking of giving to Destination tomorrow, please remember that most corporations will match – To a certain degree, whether sometimes it's uh, fifty cents on the dollar, sometimes it's dollar for dollar, and sometimes it's more. But make sure that if you are giving, that you work with your the company you work for to see if they will match that as well. And that's why the the thank you letter or confirmation that you've donated letter that Sean is talking about is so important because it can sometimes double, triple, quadruple the money that can be effective in these organizations.
2: Yes, thank you for that. You bet. and lastly, we're also planning our first gala, right? So I'm super excited and super nervous all at the same time. That's <laughs> Every time I accomplish something, I'm here I go trying to do something else. <laughs> we're going to do, do our first gala. It's called a Dare Dream Masquerade Ball. Oh, and. Nice. it's And it's going to be October 26th, so if your listeners would like to, if you're in New York City, you can drop by and hang out with us, or you can purchase tickets and donate the tickets for some of the clients or some of the community members so we can get some more community members in. We've already set aside about 30 tickets for community members, but if your listeners would like to, they can also purchase and donate tickets for the community members. Oh, that's awesome. I I really like that. Yes. Great idea. So
1: we urge our listeners, if they can, to to please consider donating and and providing a ticket to somebody who could really benefit from going to an event like that. Right. Thank you. Absolutely. So, well, thank you so much for your time today, Sean. Your story personally and what you're doing is inspiring and you're doing a great service to your community. And we thank you for that. Thank you so
2: much for having me. I appreciate it. And this was fun. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Sean, I can't tell you how thankful we are to have had you on our show. It's amazing what you sacrificed, what you gave up in your future financially to be able to help so many people in your community and to see your organization thriving now is something that almost brought a tear to my eye. I appreciate what you've done and all the people that you're helping. And I know that so many of us as listeners to queer money as individuals in a community that may be safe and comfortable financially have a way to help you and we hope that we can thank you again for everything you do thank you for listening to queer money because you allow us to continue telling these kinds of stories and we want to thank again mass mutual for supporting this podcast that allows us to share the stories of individuals who are struggling as well as those who are thriving. Remember, we want you to live fabulously and not fabulously broke. So use Sean's example as a way to empower you and impassion you to make the changes to live a better life. Thanks again and have a great week.
1: Okay, we just serviced you, now you get to service us by subscribing to this podcast on iTunes and signing up for the Queer Money Lifestyle newsletter at queer.money. Well, I'm not really gay. <laughs> <laughs> it would help me if I had a personal chef
0: who made all my, all my coffee meals for me. Right.
1: So instead I'll have a Snickers tonight
0: for The other end, I like the butts, so... <laughs> <laughs> uh.
1: From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking queer money on the road.